Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. How's it going? It's good to see everybody this morning. I'm very excited uh, to, to get back into God's Word. Um, it's been a, a busy few weeks for me, and uh, God has, has been stretching me in His, in His Word. I've, I've had to preach a lot recently, and it's been a lot of fun, but it's also been really exhausting. And so it's good to be back here with you guys. You guys like my new pulpit? Isn't that nice? Look at this. So that's exciting. Um, man, so we are still, I'm still riding high from retreat. Uh, I feel very excited uh, for, for what God's doing in Kaya. Um, for those of you who missed it, uh, make sure that you sign up for Spring Retreat. Uh, that's going to be right around the corner, right? We've got, and, and not to mention we've got Mission Focus, which uh, is a big deal around these parts. And so uh, we want to take those, uh, those events seriously. They are a time of charging uh, where, where um, God has an opportunity to speak to us directly and, and, and we have time to, to kind of to re- retreat with Him and to, to, find, um, to find ourselves anew in Him. And so... Let's make sure that we're taking advantage of those things. I also want to welcome you. If this is your first time to Kai, I don't often say this. I usually just get right into the word because I'm awkward and not good at this. And so, but I want to say uh, welcome. We, we want to thank you for being here this morning. If it's your first time, this is the College and Young Adult Ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple. And, and we're excited that you're here and we're thankful that you're here. And if you need anything, uh, you come find me after service. Or if you, you just grab a hold of somebody who seems like they know what they're doing. You know, someone who seems professional. Like Miles. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, he's the most professional looking one of all of us anyway, I think. I mean, look, very stylish individual. Thanks, man. We, we kind of match today. It's nice. I actually, I actually asked Lisa, I said, what is Miles wearing today? And, uh, so that I, we could be kind of the same. I love you guys. Let's, let's be in Jonah chapter 1. That's where we're going to pick up. I, I was tempted after retreat. I thought to myself, are, are we done with Jonah? I felt like we were. I felt like I said everything I needed to say. And then you, I was chided, which is a, basically a, a biblical word. It means that I was harassed until I, until I submitted. And we're going to continue on. We're going to finish out Jonah uh, uh, chapter 1 today, and we'll continue through the remainder of Jonah uh, uh, until, until we get done. We'll see how long that takes, and then we'll jump back into Acts, if that's okay with you guys. All right, let's, uh, let's pray and ask that the Lord would be with us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are grateful for who you are. And uh, we are thankful, Lord, that we're blessed. This morning, uh, I, I could hear people's, the pages of their Bibles turning. And that's because we have a letter that you wrote to us. And you, you used men, uh, weak and, and even wicked individuals uh, that you counted worthy 
and you set them aside and you spoke to them your words that we might have them today in written form. And God, I, I don't want to uh, treat that flippantly. I don't want to dismiss that. That is a precious thing that you've gifted us with. And we're, we're so glad that we can know you. We don't have to be confused and we don't have to trade you for spirituality. Like that's such a relief to me to know that I don't have to pretend to be religious or I don't have to come to church looking and hunting for a particular feeling. Um, but Lord, that I can come to church and I can go to my bedroom and I can be on my knees and have a book whose, whose even its punctuation is perfect. That's bizarre and it's beautiful and I thank you for it. And so Lord, today I, I pray that you would use me, um, an imperfect man, to speak your perfect words and that we wouldn't confuse my opinion uh, with what you have to say. We want to know you. We want to know you in your perfection. We want to know you in your beauty. We want to know you in your majesty. And Lord, we want to trade our feelings, our emotions, and our aberrant thoughts and desires, our, our falsities, for your perfection. So lead us and guide us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Jonah, Jonah. Um, so, so far, we've been in, in chapter 1. We haven't gotten very far. Some of you might be familiar with the story of Jonah. Uh, but before we get into the story, I want to point out that basically what we've been learning so far in Jonah is that all of our best and worst faith moments begin with our thought life. They begin with our thought life. The way that, the way that our mind is bent to respond to our circumstances. And so this is what I mean. As Christians, you can choose to let your circumstances, your trials, and your seasons of growth harm you emotionally. You can, you can take difficult times and difficult circumstances and you can let those things harm you and cause you to have, have vain and weak emotional responses that actually lead you away from the Lord. Or, you can choose to embrace who God is in faith and find joy even in the most difficult of circumstances. Okay, the Bible teaches us that, that we can count it all joy to fall into divers or diverse temptation. That we can actually find joy in that. And, and so right now, you should be even combing through your mind and asking yourself, what are the difficult circumstances that I face? And, and, and if we're going to be honest, all of us have something that is either present with us right now or something on the horizon that poses a threat to our faith and has, an, has the ability to tempt us to lose faith and to lose hope and to be more concerned about our circumstances than about who God is and what He means to us. We're in danger of that at all times. And this is why our thought life is so crucial because we cannot afford as Christians and as missionaries to be shaken in mind. We cannot afford to be shaken in mind. Our mind has to be set on the Lord. If we are going to be of any value, of any fruit, for the sake of His kingdom, we've got to have a good thought life. Now, to turn to Jonah as our example, God's word comes to Jonah. In verse 1 it says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Look, I want you to be a missionary on my behalf. I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to cry against it because their wickedness is come up before me. And what happens? 
Jonah chooses to go on the run from the will of God. Rather than obeying God's word, Jonah's response is to take a boat across the Mediterranean in order to hide himself from the responsibility to obey. And that's true for us too. That's true for us too. Um, you know, just, just for a moment, okay, all of us that are in this room have varying levels of exposure to the Word of God. Right? Like some of you, this might be your first time ever at church. Sometimes I hear that on a Sunday. and Someone will say to me, this is my first time at church. Right? And this might be your very first time ever at church. And here you are sitting under the teaching of the Word. Maybe you've been under the Word of God for, for decades now. I mean, that's truer for people like Brent and I. Brent, where, wherever you are, man. Keep the faith, brother. Right? Um, and maybe you've under, been under the teaching of God's Word for quite a long time. But, but what does not change is that when we're exposed to the Word of God, we're responsible to obey it. So whether or not you're, you're here for the very first time, maybe you're not even a Christian yet. But when the Word of God comes to you, it's your responsibility to obey God, the creator of the universe. It's your responsibility. And Jonah fails to do that here. Now what we know about Jonah is that he was a prophet. Okay, is that he was a prophet. And God had used him in times past. But the thing that we're going to discover as we continue on in Jonah is that he, didn't ha- he just happened to not like this particular request, this particular thing that God was asking him to do. He just didn't like this thing. In other words, he allowed his selfish motives to get in the way of what God was calling him to do. And he focused more on his circumstances than on who God was. Now what we discover is that God was faithful to chase him down in order to chastise him and bring him back into his will. God goes after him. Right? God goes after him. And I'm so thankful that he does that. When his children's hearts are, are far from him, he's faithful to go and to find them and to draw them back. Now, I want to warn you of something, though. And, and we could spend time here. We don't have time. I want to warn you, though, that there comes a point where you can harden your conscience against God. Romans chapter 1 talks about this. That someone can know who God is and can know His Word and at one time maybe even be a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ, but yet harden their heart in such a way where God is willing to say, okay, have it your way. And He turns you over to sin. I I, I pray, God forbid, that that ever happened to any of you in this room. Someone's playing like Pong or something right now. Is that, do people still play that? Is this, yeah? No? Okay. All right. You got it under control back there? Okay. Um, so, what we need to understand is that we have a responsibility, and if we fail in that responsibility, what's going to happen is God will come after us, and He's willing to chase after His children and even discipline us back into a place of following Him. So for Jonah, he's out on the ocean, or not on the ocean, on the sea, and God orchestrates a storm of consequence for him. He prepares a storm, he prepares a tempest. And last we left off, the storm was coming down hard on Jonah and his fellow passengers, the mariners. And when they learned that Jonah was the cause of all of their problems, they go to him and they say, well, what do we do? All right, so I'm skipping over some stuff. You can go back and revisit. Let's pick up in in verse 10 of chapter 1. For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so the other guys on the boat, the other mariners, the others that are on the Mediterranean Sea in the middle of the storm, suffering the consequences of Jonah's sinful behavior, what they do is they go to him 
And they say to him, in verse 11, What shall we do unto thee that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea uh, wrought and was tempestuous. And so what's Jonah's response? He says, Throw me overboard and the sea will be made calm. You're going to have to throw me overboard. Now we talked about this and we'll get into this some more, but Jonah's a picture of Jesus Christ to us. Like, like, we have the ability to go back and to see the Old Testament and see pictures and types of Jesus riddled throughout the Old Testament. And we can know things about who Jesus was by looking back at stories, prophetic stories in the Old Testament. It's, there, there's no book like this, guys. Okay? All the many authors that put together the content of the Bible and all of these things just weave together so perfectly. And we can see a type of Jesus in Jonah. It's so amazing. And and Jonah reflects for us the sacrifice that Jesus Christ wanted to make for us on our behalf. That the the storms of our life might be made calm. That he would deliver us and and, and he would save us from from imminent death, which is what we're going to get to here in a moment. So Jonah says, hey, the only answer is is for you guys to throw me overboard. You have to sacrifice me. And what do they do? Verse 12 says, And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea, so so shall the sea be uh, be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. And and, And so this is their response. Verse 13, Nevertheless, the men rode hard to bring it to the land. But they could not, for the sea rot and was tempestuous against them. In light of the sacrifice solution, they chose to trust in the fortitude of their flesh. In light of the sacrifice solution, they chose to trust in the fortitude of their flesh. So the men rode harder, which is just like mankind. That's just like lost men. To work harder, to strive for perfection, to seek answers on their own terms. This is the tendency of the lost world who's convinced that they can earn their way to God in the merit of their flesh and their good behavior. If you talk to most people, most people who consider themselves religious at whatever level, you know, whatever variant, okay, uh, whatever that means, uh, yeah, I believe in God, or yes, I'm, I'm, I'm a faithful Hindu, or I'm a faithful Buddhist, I'm a faithful whatever, okay, Catholic, or whatever it might be, religious individuals, okay? What they're going to tell you, or what they're going to relay to you, is that in their behavior lies the answers to their salvation, Is that, is that in the work of their flesh, they're going, to find, they're going to find the ultimate satisfaction. They're going to find goodness manifest in their life if, they just, if they're just the right type of person. If they obey the right rules. If they act a certain way. And for the average American, the average Westerner, who has any conception of heaven, they might say something to you, well, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I've done primarily good things in my life. And what that means, what they're trying to tell you is that that I know that I've done bad things, but I know that ultimately my good behavior will demand God give me His favor. 
And that is not any different than these mariners just rowing harder in the midst of their trial, in the midst of their storm. It's not any different thinking to yourself that I know that I'm wicked. I know that I deserve hell, but I'm just going to work harder and God will have to give me his favor. And that's not how it works. If that's how it works, then Jesus Christ never needed to come. Jesus Christ never needed to come to deliver us from our wickedness. Does that make sense? They would rather try and earn their way to find their own purpose, to create their own security and stability. Why? Well, why would they do this? Why would they be thinking this way? So let's start first with the fact that their only example of a believer is Jonah. They see the falsity of believers in Jonah's testimony. So Jonah's saying, hey, look, I worship, I worship the creator of all things. I, I worship the one true God. And you, you worship, you're idolatrous, you worship many gods, and you just pick the one, the flavor of the week. But I worship the one true God, and I'm the reason that this storm is here. And they see the testimony of his life, and in many regards, if I were them, I would say to myself, well, if that's what look, uh, worshiping God looks like, I don't want any part of that. Because he's a walking contradiction of his own beliefs. And one of the biggest hang-ups for, for, for the lost world is actually the testimony of Christians. So many Christians in this world today live just like the lost world. They live in their flesh, and yet they call themselves Christians. And if we can go back, if we can go back to Acts, remember when we, le we learned that, you know what? A true Christian is actually synonymous with being a disciple of Jesus Christ, someone who's willing to give up everything to follow him. And we use the word Christian so, so easily today. Everybody that just kind of believes in Jesus calls themselves a Christian. And the lost world sees that and says, I don't want any part of that. You're a freaking hypocrite. So for the mariners, I mean, why should they worship a God that Jonah doesn't even see as worthy enough to obey? And I hope that brings some conviction for some of you who are straying from the Lord, who call yourself a Christian but choose to act like the lost world, to imitate the things that you see of your lost friends. But more importantly, I think, I think that they refuse to worship God in that moment and they choose to turn to their flesh because they see that, that God is a God of sacrifice. That the God that Jonah's talking about, the God that brought the storm, is a God of sacrifice. And that is scary. Isn't it? Okay, so you're telling me that your God is the one true God, Jonah. Okay, check. I mean, you're a freaking hypocrite. Let's put that aside for a moment. But your God wants us to throw you overboard as a, as a sacrifice. Okay, picture aside. All right, to calm the sea. Well, that, that kind of God seems a little bit scary. Right? And it maybe leads them to question or pause. And you got to think, if the mariners were to obey this God, who wants them to throw Jonah overboard, they'd have to ask themselves next, what would he ask of them if they chose to worship him? <laughs> who is he, and what does he want from us? See, the lost world today thinks the same way. They see that Jesus Christ sacrificed his life to save the lost. And they say to themselves, what kind of radical life will he ask of his followers? And I want to tell you, I want to be straight up. Okay? In the fine print, 
of my salvation agreement. When I came to the Lord and I said, Dear Heavenly Father, I need you. I know that I need you. I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a Savior. Would you save me from my sin? In the fine print existed a radical life. And I want to warn you up front that to follow the God of the Bible is to live a radical lifestyle, full of sacrifice, just like his son Jesus Christ had to endure we have to endure it too. If you, if you were in main service today, you heard a little bit of that. There are persecutions and sufferings and temptations that, that, are, that are crafted specifically for the Christian. And I want to say something to you real quick. And as we're about to find out in the lives of the mariners, to follow the radical God of the Bible is so worth it. It's so worth it. It is my all in all. It is my only purpose. And whatever may come, whatever difficulty may uh, to f- fall to my lot, whatever station in life, I will serve him because he's good to me. But rather than obey, they row. They row. And this leads us to our next now, we've been going through all these points, and if you've been hanging with us, you'll know now that we've been talking about thoughts, we've been talking about presenting ourselves to God and our minds and our heart the right way, and we've been talking about f- how we can find freedom in, in thinking the right way, right? The, this, this series is about setting us free, setting us free from wrong thinking. And so here's point number seven, for those of you who've been keeping track, And this is free us, not from, because everything has been so far as free us from. Here we're going to talk about free us by repentance. Free us by repentance. Now, I just want to warn you in advance, as we go through the remainder of Jonah, chapter 1, we find repentance. Chapter 2, we find repentance. And then in chapter 3, we find repentance. And so we're going to be talking about repentance a lot. And here's my point to you. Today we're going to be talking about repentance of the lost man. But as we go through this, what I want you to catch is that for the Christian, we need, if we want to have a proper thought life, if we want to have a proper heart towards the Lord, it's going to require for us a lifestyle of repentance. We don't really like this word repent very much. It's very threatening. Right to, to, our, to 2019 Western mindset. The word repent is threatening because what it assumes is that you're freaking wrong. And we don't like to be wrong. We are, we are walking Wikipedias. We think that because we have access to the internet, that we have Google, that we've got it all figured out. No, y'all, you're stupid. I'm stupid, you're stupid, we, we have no idea. We are so limited in our capacity. And our life is just riddled full of wickedness, and we choose wickedness constantly. This is why we need a Savior. And this is why we need a lifestyle of repentance. Because every day, not just in terms of your sin, your sin nature, which is what we're going to talk about today, but every day you still sin. You have sins, and you need forgiveness, and that requires you repent. So let's talk about that. So there these men are rowing until they discover their own futility. Oh, wait a second. We can't do this. Whoops. 
they faced certain death. They discover ultimately there is, that there is only one answer, and that is to repent. To change their mind, to obey God, and to take Jonah and allow him to be the sacrifice they needed for their salvation. Let me say this to you. You know, salvation is not cheap. We, we treat it very cheaply. We treat it like it's like as simple as buying, you know, an airline ticket to heaven. Like we can just get online and, and get exactly what we want. It costs Jesus his blood. And it demands the repentance of the sinner. A turning away from, from your way and turning towards the Lord, Christ's way. The act of repentance itself does not add or take away from the finished work of the cross. Okay, so for those of you who are doctrinally minded, I want to make that clear to you. Theologically, our repentance, our act of repentance, doesn't negate in any way of the grace gift of Jesus Christ. It is demanded of us. Repentance is the reception of God's grace. See, they coincide with one another. It's not a work, it's not an act. It's what's required. Charles Spurgeon says, Repentance is a change of mind of a very deep and practical character which makes the man love what once he hated and hate what once he loved. I'm so thankful for the stories of repentance that we've had over the last few weeks in, in the lives of many people in Kaya. People who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They had to turn from something. They had to change their mind. They had to change their heart. They had to, they had to turn away. William Temple says, To repent is to adopt God's viewpoint in place of your own. Are you hanging with me here? You understand? I'm, I'm trying to define for you what repentance is. Pastor William McDonald says of repentance, There can be no true conversion without conviction of sin. It is one thing to agree that I, that I am a sinner. It is quite another thing to experience the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life. Many have forgotten that the message is repentance toward God as well as faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm in the middle of a study. I, I, hadn't, I haven't quite finished it, but, but I, hopefully I'll introduce it to you. I don't know if it'll ever show up in a message or not. But I took some time to look at, at the, the, all the people that in, in, in Scripture that say the words, I have sinned. I have sinned. And I, th and I think, I've got to look a little bit closer, so this is, this is me, not the Word of God. I think only about half of the people that say, I have sinned, actually ever repent. It means, it means there's one thing to acknowledge the fact that you need a Savior. It's an entirely different thing to turn away from self and lay hold on a Savior. It's an entirely different thing. That, my friend, is repentance. And it is exactly what the Apostle Paul was, was called to preach to the lost world. In Acts, in Acts chapter 20, uh, verse 20, he says, this is Paul speaking, And how I kept back nothing 
that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly. What was it that he was teaching from house to house? He was testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. The two things coincide. They go together. Turning away, turning towards. I can say, I can say to you, I'm, you know, I'm going to go on vacation. And now I said those words, and now Eva's like instantly praying that I like actually mean what I'm about to say. <laughs> we do need a vacation. It's long overdue. I can say, hey, babe, we need a... And I'm going to shoot really low here just because I don't know what we can afford. So I'm not going <laughs> to... I'm not going to pay. I can say, oh, you know, Honolulu. I'm, we're not doing that. <laughs> so I need to go to, we're going to go on vacation to Omaha. <laughs> okay, don't boo me. We're going to go somewhere. But listen to me. Hey, guys, I can't get to Omaha if I don't leave Kansas City. Does that make sense to you? That's repentance, and that, that's the message of the gospel. Repent and be saved. Why? Not because of your good doing or your works or because you figured it out, but because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has called you to repent and to turn towards Him because He is the light and He is the way. We just sang a song, Take the world, but give me Jesus. That's a song of repentance. You take the world. I'm done with it. I quit that. Give me Jesus. I repent. I turn. So the mariners recognize this very thing, and their salvation is dependent on their decision to turn from their way, their rowing, and turn towards the Lord. So what do they do? This is the natural thing of the person who recognizes that their sin separates them from a holy God. This is the natural thing to do. It says, Wherefore they cried unto the Lord. They cried out and said, We beseech thee, O Lord. We beseech thee. They say it twice. Let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood. For thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah and cast him forth into, into the sea, and, they, and the sea ceased from her raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows. You know, it was, about, it was about, what, eight months ago that I prayed with Larry and I heard him cry out to the Lord. Do you remember that, man? I'll never forget that, right? To come to Christ, we had to, to come to the end of ourselves. We had to cry out to Him. The word cry out here means they called out or they proclaimed with a loud voice. As they do, they find their salvation through repentance. The grace of God was extended to them. He offered them away and they received it. There are things that they discover as they come into faith. So I want to break down this decision to repent real quick. And I, and I want to I paint for us what will be a picture for the lost man's salvation. Can we do that? I hope this isn't too ABC for you. But I love the picture here, and I don't think we can gloss over it. There's something that, that we can learn from this situation. So the very first thing that, that they do is that they acknowledged imminent death. 
They acknowledged imminent death. They acknowledged judgment for their sin. They cried and they spoke to God, We beseech thee, O Lord, we beseech thee, let us not perish for this man's life. Psalm 89, 48 says, What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Shall he row harder to prevent death, to prevent damnation, to prevent separation for God? Shall he row harder? Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us are under the hand of God's judgment. We were born sinners. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, for that all have sinned. Death passed upon to all men, for that all have sinned. In other words, because of Adam's sin, and his choice to take of the tree, sin was handed down to, to all of us. And we, and we are children of our father, the devil. Well, that doesn't sound good. It ain't good. That puts us under the hand of God's judgment. We are not holy. We do not do holy. By our very nature, we are wicked. And death for us, judgment for us, is imminent. We do not know the hour of our death. We do not know when we might pass over. And it is of great importance for the person who wants to repent, the person who wants to follow God, the person who wants to turn away, they have to acknowledge the fact that they are a sinner and they are doomed to die. These mariners were under the hand of God's judgment, not, be, not just because of Jonah's decision, but because they were under the judgment of their own sinfulness. They were heathen idolaters, men lost in sinful thinking. They were at the edge of death, and they were now prepared to acknowledge that their, their ways were not working. They were finally prepared to acknowledge that fact, but it required them to see their death. Hey, Christians. Hey, missionaries, hey, hey, hey evangelists, those of you who, who know the Bible, who are saved, L let me just warn you for a second. Don't you dare preach the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ without re out presenting the need for repentance. Don't tell someone about the cross without first telling them why the cross. Jesus Christ had to die for our sin. He didn't do it because of fun. He didn't do it because of prophecy. He did it because he saw our sin and he bore it on our behalf. Repentance is a crucial part, is a crucial aspect of us choosing to follow Jesus. We deserve judgment and so the only hope we have is to throw ourselves at the mercy of the judge. And cry out. So key point number one, salvation requires we repent from our way of death. Salvation requires we repent from our way of death. Sin is the way of death. Next, they acknowledged a sacrifice was necessary. 
they acknowledged a sacrifice was necessary. It says, and lay, whole, uh, and lay not upon us innocent blood, for thou, O Lord, hast done as it pleased thee. So they took up Jonah, and they cast him forth into the sea. Well, they got over that real quick. When they acknowledged that death was imminent, I just imagine the Mariners were just like, as a team, I just imagine it like as a cartoon. They kind of like, whoop. Good luck. Right? A heave and a hoe. You know, it's so interesting to me that before they were trying to throw the wares off the boat, what sacrifice means Jesus. It once was rowing. It once was false idols. It once was throwing the wares over the side. But now, now it's the sacrifice of the one, the answer. That's the picture for us. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God made a way for us to find redemption, but his sacrifice was necessary. This was his way for us. The gift of God's innocent son. That was his way. The mariners had to acknowledge the sacrifice of Jonah as necessary for their physical salvation. And we need to acknowledge the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for our spiritual salvation. That's the picture. So key point number two. Salvation requires we receive the sacrifice of Jesus. Okay, so we have two requirements. Two requirements so far. Salvation requires we repent. But salvation also requires we receive. We have to receive the beautiful gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We have to receive it for our own. We have to take it. It has to become our mantle. And I want to say just right now, that right there is salvation. And, and, and so I want to pause and I want to invite anyone in this room to, rec to recognize right now, have you ever done that? Because if you haven't, you aren't saved and you are still rowing. Now what comes next? After they choose this beautiful gift of God's salvation, the next thing is that they acknowledge their, their changed reality. Isn't that what happens after you get saved? You, you acknowledge, the, the, the outcome is that you acknowledge that something is different. Can anybody testify to that? Can anybody here who's, who says, I'm a saved believer, and I recognize that the moment I accepted Jesus Christ, that there was something different immediately about me. And I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about you figured it all out. But there was something different in your heart. Just raise your hand and testify to that. You know that something changed in your heart. A peace came upon you. And what does it say here in the story? And the sea ceased from her raging. There was a peace. Romans 8, 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death. That's where they were. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. See, once they accepted the sacrifice, they immediately experienced rest as the sea calmed and the burden of their judgment was lifted from them. What a great and exciting experience it is to know that our lives were once doomed and now they have been recovered, rescued from hell, freed from the consequences of our sin. 
It is this feeling and this experience that comes with knowing God. And I want to say to you, it's a strange and it's a paradoxical feeling. Peace. It's a strange feeling to know peace. You know why? Because at the same time, to know Jesus is to know great fear. We'll talk about that in a moment. Key point, number three, salvation results in an exceptional peace. We can know peace. When we, when, when we live in the satisfaction and the contentment of Jesus Christ, when we acknowledge what He's done, there is peace that comes. The seas can be calmed. And really, that's, that's a huge point of the, the entirety of Jonah. The reason that we're teaching Jonah right now and that we're in the book of Jonah is because many of you, even Christians, find yourself in seasons of unrest. And that there can be a calming of the sea. But really, ultimately, what you need is to go back to the sacrifice. You've got to go back to the place where you're acknowledging who Jesus Christ is and what He means to you. And in that place, you will find resolution once again. You will find a peace in your heart. And it will result in exceptional peace, okay? But next, it says that they acknowledge their fear. Well, that's a, See, to me, that's a strange, that's a strange thing. To have peace and to have fear at the same time. See, many of us, we have fear because what we're really saying is we're afraid of our circumstances. So many of us are riddled with fear in our lives because what you fear is everything but God. You're just afraid. You're an afraid person. You've got anxiety. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a perfect fear. So they acknowledge their fear. Verse 16 says, after they, it talks about the peace that came, it says, then the men feared the Lord exceedingly. See, before they were saved, it says this. It says this. Look, look back up into, let's see, where does it say it? Well, now, now I've got to, where does it say it? Is it verse 9? Where it says that they were afraid? Verse 5. Verse 5, it says that they were afraid. Okay, before they were saved, it says that they were afraid of their circumstances, but now they have an object of fear. The creator of the universe. I mean, to me, just that statement alone, the creator of the universe, I love saying it. You'll hear me say it a lot. Because when I say it, I recognize how small I am. It puts things in context. It is one thing to fear the idea of being devoured by a wild beast, which I am. You guys know that, right? Everyone knows at this point that I am afraid of animals. Okay? So we can stop talking about it. We don't need another meme. Okay? It's one thing to fear the idea of being devoured by a wild beast. It's another thing entirely to find your dwelling place in the presence of a lion. And isn't that what Christians do? They take up residence with the creator of the universe. They take up residence with a, with a lion. The lion of Judah. And they find their peace there. It's a strange contradiction. It's a strange paradox, isn't it? Psalms 11, 10, uh, 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. His praise endureth forever. You know, the, the other day I was talking with uh, Clementine and Shepherd. Clementine uh, is my six-year-old daughter. Shepherd is my, is my eight-year-old son. And we do Bible reading at night. And we're into be- in bed together. And we're reading something and, the f- and fear comes up, like fear of God. And Clementine, uh, because she's a contrarian by nature, um, says, well, this doesn't make sense. Right? We're supposed to fear God. We're supposed to be afraid of God. And so we began a conversation. I asked her, does, does Daddy love you? And she said, she says, yes. Does Daddy care for you? Again, she replied, yes. Does Daddy protect you and feed you? And she, she again said, yes. And then I said, but do you fear Daddy? And with some, with some shy reservation, she confessed, yes. And I said, well, what might cause you to fear your daddy who loves you so much? And she very astutely said, well, it's when I've disobeyed. Let me read Psalm 111.10 again. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do his commandments. In other words, fear is produced in knowing that you sin every day and you worship a holy God. See, what Clementine and the Mariners, have, they both know is that, if, is that the God of mercy is also the God that holds the power over everything and every breath and every heartbeat, and every, every living being, both physical and spiritual, he holds them in his very hand. And listen to me, when God is more than a concept, when knowing God is dwelling near the flame, then you too will have a healthy fear of his loving hands. I mean, don't we love a good bonfire? Don't we, lo- don't we just love to sit around by a by a campfire. Some of us don't because we don't like how we smell afterwards, or I don't know. But, but hang with me here. Hang with the picture, will you? You like to be warmed by the fire, don't you? But don't you have to get close to the flame to feel its warmth? Yeah, I remember one time we were having a bonfire at James Fife's house. This was when I was in college. And there was a young man, well, there was probably several young men. They weren't me because I, you know, I have a respect for things like fire and zoo animals. <laughs> but, but there was a few guys who didn't have much respect for the, the large flaming fire in the backyard, and they began to run and jump through it. And one of the young men fell into the fire. And he was rushed immediately to the hospital, and he had very severe burns, and he had to have some, some skin grafts. respect the one you worship fear him and reverence him because he holds your very breath in his hands and there's not much more to say on the matter I shouldn't have to explain that to you so key point number four salvation results in an altered perspective of God's power 
When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it results in something. It requires a couple things, but it results in several things. And one of the results is an altered perspective on God's power. No longer is He the God that you're willing to, to row beyond. Huh, no, not anymore. He's the one that calmed the sea, which means He has power over all things. And He is a God worthy to be worshipped. He's a God worthy to be feared. He's a God that sits on a throne in a place beyond our conception. And our, our perspective begins to change, right? Okay, lastly, uh, they acknowledge him in worship, sacrifice and vows. It says, And offered a sacrifice unto the Lord and made vows, Psalm 96, 9. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, fear him, all the earth. So lastly, the byproduct of encountering God's salvation is to sacrifice and confess before Him. These men worship God through sacrifice and profession. Jonah was the picture of sacrifice necessary for them. But this was a sacrifice of self. So they needed the sacrifice. We need the sacrifice of the Savior. They needed the sacrifice of Jonah. We need the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Right? We need that. But what we see here is a sacrifice of self. This is a Romans chapter 12 type of sacrifice. It's a sweet savor before the God that they've just learned of. They've just encountered. It was, this was a sacrifice of self. They gave something to God that he might be honored in their presence. This is a lifestyle sacrifice. Next, they make vows or confessions before God. See, there was no priest present. It was a humble it was a humble setting. They're sitting on the beach, right? Things have been calmed. Things are at bay. I imagine them sitting on the, on the beach, right? Weathered, tattered. And the first chance they do is they make sacrifice before God. See, the cry of repentance became the cry of their surrender. It became the cry of their life. It became the cry of every moment. Likewise, every person who comes to faith in Jesus must recognize that repentance brings us to salvation. But a lifestyle of commitment to God comes from a surrender to live for God the rest of our lives. Sacrifice and vows should happen every day. Key point number five, salvation results in a personal sacrifice and the proclamation of devotion. It results in that. That becomes our lifestyle. Now, as we, as we close, I want to invite the worship team up. Okay, we're, I want to I make it, this is my invitation to you. And it starts with key point number six. Can we, did, would you get this one? I don't want to move too quickly. But I want to, I want to land this plane. Okay, the last key point, uh, uh, number five, was salvation results in personal sacrifice and the proclamation of devotion. But, but the most important key point that I want to, to, to point out today is key point number six. Redemption from your sin comes from repentance of your sin and belief in Christ Jesus. It's very straightforward. Romans 3.23, we read it earlier, it says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But listen, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation. 
or a covering. That's what that word means, a covering. Through faith in His blood. To declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. To declare, I say, at this time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of Him which believeth in Jesus. And here's what the invitation looks like for us today. You're here. You came today. And and I would say that that by being here, you were ready to hear the word of God. That's why you came. No matter where you're at, that's the reason you came today. You were prepared at some level to hear the Bible being taught. But this is what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that, that all of us have sin. All of us come short of the glory of God. And what's required is a propitiation or a covering of our sin, a restoration of what was lost in Adam. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is an imperative to you that you choose to repent this day. And the only thing I can do is beg you. I can't make you. I can't force you. Religion won't fix it for you. Rowing harder won't fix it for you. You've got a sin problem. And the only solution to your sin problem, the only answer for that problem, is the blood of Jesus Christ. So I'm, I'm going to ask, as we close in prayer, that you would consider whether or not you've made a decision, if you've ever actually repented. And if you haven't, today is the day. There's going to be people, leaders up here at the front, who are ready to receive you and to, to, to sit with you and to pray with you so that you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you can make a confession. You can cry out before the living God and say, I need you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time in your word. And I know that in the, a room like this, there are, both, there are many people who've, who've already made this profession. They've already called upon you for repentance and the reception of Jesus Christ. But Lord, there are many more who don't know you. There are people today who have a form of godliness, but they've denied the power thereof. They're religious people. They've called themselves Christians even. They've believed that they were Christians, and yet... There was never a moment where they repented of their sin and God, I hope that you would expose to them right now that they need to make a decision that they're not Christians until they've chosen to follow you. To lay down their past, to walk away from the world, to walk away from their wickedness and their sin and follow you in the reality of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and lay hold on you once and for all. And God, I pray for the conviction of your Holy Spirit and I pray that you would continue to call people and that there would be unsettling in the hearts of those who have not yet believed and that they they would have the boldness to stand up even right now, to grab a hold of someone, to come forward in need of prayer. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We hope that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, For service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.li.com.